Once you were darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. Therefore live as children of light. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. All right. Well, good morning to everyone. Good to see you all here. Um, let's say, you know, uh, any Maryland fans in the house? Um, them's, them's the breaks, right? Them's the breaks. But uh, my USC Trojans, they're out of it also. But um, how the mighty have fallen, right? <laughs> and March Madness, and it's, it, it, it continues. So uh, that that's something to uh, just hold our attention. But um, we just heard a, a great, great, great gospel story one of the powerful um, stories that uh, lays before us today um, a journey, a journey of faith and also the, the cost of discipleship. But um, the story does not stand alone. It is part of the great continuum that we have in uh, the Bible and in the gospel story. Sometimes I like to think that uh, you look at the Old Testament, and the Old Testament has uh, prophecies about Jesus Christ. Now, and, and when I say that, I'm, I'm speaking in a Christian perspective, decidedly Christian perspective, to see in the Old Testament prophecies of Jesus Christ. So you have that. And then you have the gospel. The gospels have the story of Jesus Christ, of his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension in those stories. And then you have the epistles that ask the question, then what? What happened? What do we do with this whole Christ event? So the gospel doesn't stand alone. It's part of this whole continuum. And it comes to us uh, today with a question. That story ends with a question that it begs us. It says, you know, in a sense, what then? What happened? How do we read this story? It has a spiritual level, has a metaphorical level of reading it, has a historical level, historical criticism you can bring to it. And of course, there is the practical level that asks the question, what then? What do we do? My eyes have been opened for this man and for us. But what then? What responsibility comes with newfound sight. What excuses must be laid aside now that he, now that we no longer live in darkness? His questions are our questions, for this story is our story. We do not come into the world knowing Jesus Christ. We are, in a sense, born blind. We live our lives blind until Jesus comes along. However it happens, an encounter with someone, walk into a church, open the book, your parents bring you, somewhere along the line, we encounter Christ and we are changed. Today's uh, miracle story of healing is unique in that the blind man does not ask for sight. He doesn't cry out 
like blind Bartimaeus there on the roadside outside of Jericho. We recall that story that Jesus is in the crowd or going, and there is the blind man by the side of the road, and he's calling out, Jesus, son of David, Eleazar me, have mercy on me. None of that happens in this story. Jesus doesn't walk up to the blind man and ask him, well, what can I do for you? What do you want? Do you want to be healed? Do you want to see? Doesn't ask him that. All that happens is he puts spit and mud on the man's eyes, tells him to go wash. Nothing is promised. And yet, everything is changed. Now, when we read this story and, and hear this story, we, we might want to um, rush into it and see ourselves as, as the man born blind, right? Sort of as the hero in the story, the one who, who is redeemed and who speaks his truth to the powers that be. Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. But this one thing I do know. Once I was blind but now I see. Powerful words, brave words, speaking truth, our truth, speaking it to power. Yes, that's where we may want to be in the story, but he is not the only character in this drama. There are other players and other places where we may find ourselves. The parents know that they have something to lose. You don't want to get on the wrong side of the Pharisees. You could get thrown out of the synagogue, cut off from everyone, declared persona non grata. Sometimes we may find ourselves in these situations where we don't want to get involved. It's better to just sit on the sidelines and let whatever happens, happens. My name is Jess. And I ain't in this mess. That's a phrase that can be said. My name is Emmett, and I ain't in it. That's another one. I'm here on the sidelines. I don't want to get involved. The gospel tells us, though, brothers and sisters, that this is evoking and recalling a real situation in history and in the first century. For as the Jewish Christians began to proclaim Jesus as the Messiah, rules arose that anyone who did so would be excommunicated, would be cast out, would be declared a heretic. There is something to lose. There is a cost to discipleship. Maybe that's where we find ourselves in the story. And then we have the Pharisees the proud defenders of the status quo. And I don't want to just, you know, um, criticize them and, and, and hold them as always evil. Someone has to hold the status quo, right? Someone has to hold the line. There are traditions and ways that have to be upheld. But every now and then it seems that the status quo can be blind to the revelation of God at work. The Pharisees represent the powers that true faith in Christ often struggles against. Last week during our uh, adult forum, Dr. Andrew Thompson 
gave us a wonderful explanation and inquiry about the powers as he talked about the Christian ethicist William Stringfellow. He also talked about ethics and the powers of death, the powers that can lay claim to our souls, the powers such as law, such as money, ideology, and yes, even the church, the powers, the status quo. As we read in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness. And this gives us a sort of a metaphorical, maybe in spiritual reading of the story. The powers of darkness against the light breaking into the world. The struggle continues today. Do we get involved or not? Do we maintain the status quo or not? Do we do our own cost-benefit and risk analysis to see if following Christ is worth the price in this or that endeavor? There is indeed a place for all of us in today's gospel. And if for the moment we are the man whose eyes have been opened, what then? What is now the practical application of this story, of these passages, for our lives. Again, we turn to Ephesians. Jesus said that he was the light of the world. But in the passage from Ephesians that we just heard, we are the light. It says, you, you are the light that shines. This house, God's house, is a lighthouse where the beacon of faith calls the weary and the storm-tossed into this safe harbor that only exists by our surrender to the sovereignty of Jesus Christ, who with the Father and the Holy Spirit forgives all our sins and calls us to live as children of light. But again, the question comes forth, how? How are we to do this? And the writer goes on to say, try to find what is pleasing to the Lord, not what is pleasing to ourselves, but what is pleasing to the Lord. Sometimes we are called outside of ourselves, outside of our comfort zones. We're called to, to press on even when we don't want to, called to be in places where we don't want to be. Not too long ago, about a month ago, um, when we heard that Sylvia Lohr had not responded to the phone calls and text messages that uh, were given her. And several of us went over to her house and, of course, found her dead, where she had been for, for several days. And uh, her dog was there also. And I remember as I, as I drove off from there, left Carrie, Dana Evans, behind with her father, cleaning up. I said, I said, Lord, I'm tired of pleasing you this way. I don't want to please you this way anymore. I'm tired of losing people, 
and being in that space. I don't want to do this. And then Barbara Tower passed away. And I felt again that heaviness. I, I know I'm called to please you, but I'm tired of doing it in this way, in these places. And then there was Friday, a very small service at Bay Woods, senior place over there, and uh, just three, three old ladies and myself, one who's 101 years old, one who remembers the Allied bombers flying over Germany, her homeland. She was a kid at the time. And one who showed up late and said she had gotten caught in a traffic jam in the elevator. <laughs> Just the four of us there studying God's word, being in Christ's presence where two or three or four gathered together in my name, I will be there in the midst of you. And there we were. It was a reminder to me, yes, yes, seek the way that pleases the Lord, whatever way it might be, not necessarily my way, but God's way. And learn, right, to live as light, to do what is good, to expose evil, to prayerfully discern what pleases the Lord and to lay claim to our witness. That's the practical application of this story. Our eyes are opened, we see, we speak our truth, and we lay claim to our witness. And we sing, right? We sing of our witness. The way that um, that great, great singer, uh, the Reverend Gary Davis, has a song where he takes up the words of Jesus and puts them to his own interpretation. And he says, just as long as I'm in this world, I am the light of this world. Just as long as I'm in this world, I am the light of this world. I got fiery fingers and I got fiery hands. And when I get up in heaven, I'm going to join that fiery band. But as long as I'm in this world, I am the light of this world. Just as long as we're in this world, we are the light of this world. Amen.